Hi everyone, and welcome back to the Blast Podcast, a pod where we believe movies can be more than just movies. Uh, I'm your host, Steve Watts, joined as always by my partner in crime, Ty Patterson. Uh, Today, we're going to be covering the very divisive filmmaking career of M. Night Shyamalan. Uh, We'll start out by examining Shyamalan's latest film, Knock at the Cabin, and diving into some of the things we loved and hated about that movie. Um, But before we get started with that, Ty, you can kick us off with the movies you've watched this week. Thanks, Steve. So, in light of this review of Knock at the Cabin, kind of diving into M. Night's work, I decided to watch The Sixth Sense, and no, this isn't a rewatch. This was my first go at it. As a huge M. Night fan, I'm sure this is quite a surprise, but uh, there is a story behind it. I, at a very young age, you know, YouTube is starting to emerge as one of my most popular or most used apps, and one of, you know, the earlier clips that I saw was the big reveal in The Sixth Sense, the big twist, and I don't know if we're going to dive into it. I know it's like got to be 20 years old at this point but i won't say the twist but i saw it and i figured well if i know the twist then i don't need to see it in light of this i decided i'll finally check it out happened to love it and i have a few gripes with it but definitely one of m night's best glad i ended up checking it out and then the other you know i usually only do like two or three movies but i think this counts as four my roommate Um, wants to dive into the Mission Impossible movies. He had just seen Top Gun Maverick. He's on the Tom Cruise hype train. Welcome aboard. So we decided to start watching Mission Impossible. I recommended that since we're diving into Dead Reckoning soon and this new era of what Mission Impossible is becoming, I decided, well, let's just start with three. This is the one that's not necessarily the archetype of the new MI movies, but it introduces the characters that matter going forward. You know, you get a glimpse of Benji. Bing Rames is still in it. Cruz is starting to do, you know, more in-camera, less CGI stunt work, more notable scenes like that. Kind of paves the way and sets the stage for what the next three and now four movies are going to become. And I had a really good time with three, but it isn't until four where things pick up and you can see that Cruz just has his palms over the Mission Impossible franchise and has made them Tom Cruise movies instead of Ethan Hunt Mission Impossible movies. With that said, just had an absolute blast with all of these, and I cannot wait for Dead Reckoning. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. I will say I think it's a disservice to leave off number one, and I personally don't like MI3 that much, but uh, that might just be me. Um, Well, I'm torn. I... The only reason I wanted to start with three and not one is because I don't think two is very good. And my roommate, yeah. he has a very strict archetype of movies that he likes. And I think one is a bit dated for his liking. And I really wanted him to get invested in this. I felt like three was such a layup. J.J. Abrams' blindless popcorn movie, I think was a good starting point. Fair enough. Um, all right. So for me this week, I watched Signs to kick it off. Um I actually watched this when the U.S. had shot down three straight unidentified flying objects, and I was like, oh my god, it's signs is happening in real life. Um, Really, really freaky time, but love signs. Um, We're going to dive into that a lot more later. Um, And then I followed that up with The Innkeepers, which is one of my personal favorite horror movies, actually. I don't talk about it much 
I feel like it's relatively slept on. It's kind of slow moving, but it is from Ty West, who is, I think, one of the fundamentally best filmmakers in the horror genre at this era. And I, I'm a sucker for the way he's able to craft a really engaging slow burn all the way through his movies and then really explode in act three like pretty much every time um followed that up with scream five i've been watching all of the screams with morgan uh we skipped scream four because it sucks and finally scream five i mean i it's my second favorite of the franchise i think it's amazing um and she loved it too so there's a good way to end it. Scream 6 coming out in a couple weeks now, actually. So, Without getting way too off the tracks here, give me in like a sentence or two your thoughts on Scream 6 and what's coming. Oh, I think it's going to be awful. It's going to be <laughs> it's gonna be so bad. It looks like they, they did the same thing that they did to Michael Myers' mask, and it from the trailer, it looks like they're going to go like full serious slasher this time. And... That's the only thing that Scream cannot be. Um, it needs to, it needs to be funny. I hope that it's still funny. They lost Nev Campbell. It's horrendous. I don't know. Yeah, we'll see. Um, again, without diving too far into it, it's kind of funny that they honor Wes Craven in Five, and then after they do that and please the fans, they just empty the clip and become every other mindless horror movie of the twenty first century. Yeah, dude, no, it's. It's horrendous, and I don't know. I don't know what they're gonna do with Sydney Prescott's character. Apparently, she's still gonna be referenced like a lot, but Nev Campbell's not in the movie, so we'll see. Well, either way, ridiculous. Like I said, let's not get off the rails here. This is a knock at yeah. the cabin, M Night pod. Before diving into Shyamalan as a whole, let's talk about Knock at the Cabin. Steve, I'm sure you saw it in theaters. Why don't you talk about that experience? Yeah, it was a pretty dull theater experience for me, honestly. There was nothing really eventful one way or another. Um, I was coming off, actually, a Megan screening, which was really, really fun. Um, I saw it, like, a month after it was released, and the theater was packed. Everybody was dying laughing, and then you go into this, and it was just dead silent the whole time. The crowd seemed dead. Um, so just a really boring theater experience, I guess. Um, going into the movie, I had, uh, texted Ty that I felt like I already knew the M. Night Shyamalan twist to this, um, just from the trailer, and I ended up knowing it, but I think that kind of brings me to the point is, uh, the trailer hurts this a lot, I think. Um, if, if the trailer for this movie doesn't exist, I think it's a lot better. So, for everyone that doesn't know what Steve is talking about, I and maybe he's going in a different direction, but the first trailer for this movie had me intrigued. Interesting premise. One of my favorite directors, M. Night, is at the helm. Dave Bautista is going to try and be an actor. You know, it has all the right moving pieces. Unfortunately, during my Megan movie theater experience, the final Knock at the Cabin trailer was released, and that's where things, I think, become a problem. It started to, unfortunately, if you've seen the trailer, you know what I'm talking about, kind of reveal what's going to happen at the end of the movie. And it takes all tension out of the theater experience. You mentioned that you kind of had a boring, mind-numbing experience where everyone was quiet. I think that's partially due to that trailer. The fact that the movie spends a lot of time, you know, asking the audience to 
ponder the thought of whether or not this apocalypse is going to happen or not. Well, in that trailer, it kind of answers the question. So all that tension and all that pondering, it doesn't really happen. And I think that's the problem with this movie and why it was such a lousy theater experience. Yeah. I mean, I, I felt like there was really no tension through this entire screening for me. And I think a lot of that is due to the trailer kind of revealing that the apocalypse is going to happen. Um, but I don't know. I went in with low expectations, uh, which is pretty sad for M night because he is one of my favorite directors. I don't know if he is anymore because he's really fallen off the rails here. Um, and going in with expecting this to be like a three, four out of 10, I just, it was, it was really sad for me. It was really disappointing. And once that was over, I felt really disappointed because I kind of felt justified in that expectation. Yeah. For me, the disappointment doesn't come from the fact that I wasn't expecting a lousy movie. It's a sense that I just didn't feel anything. It was almost like walking into, I don't know, like an Ant-Man five movie, you know, I don't have any expectations of it being great as I typically would with classic M night, but I wasn't also expecting the happening again. It was just, I'm going to go watch a perfectly just okay movie, leave the theater and probably never think about it again. And that's exactly what happened. And that's never what I want out of an M night movie as one of you know my main inspirations for falling in love with movies. And, you know, I still watch all of like his classics today and it's just frustrating that this is what he's become. So that's yeah. kind of where I'm at with Knock at the Cabin. It's a really sad fall from grace to pretty much just a $5 Tuesday movie guy, you know? Yeah, so I, I'm unless you want to dive into some of the nit, nitty-gritty of Knock at the Cabin, I think this is kind of a perfect segue into what happened to M. Night Shyamalan. And before you answer that question, I want to talk about just the fact that he's he has the most bizarre career path of any director ever, in my opinion. He starts out 3-0, and and not in the sense yeah. of 3-0, and like he just made three good movies. He started out 3-0 and where his first three movies were arguably the three best movies of that year. He was already being regarded as the next, uh, next Steven Spielberg, you know, the greatest thing since sliced bread. Then The Village comes out, and I'm not going to put that on him, you know. There's some marketing mishaps. It's the trailers don't really present it correctly. Whatever you want to say about the village, it was it was marketed poorly, and um, yeah. critics didn't love it. Fans didn't love it. And then he goes down this dark spiral of bad movies that you would never expect someone that made signs to make something like The Happening. Dude. All right. <laughs> Let's not burn that. Let's not. Don't get me fired up just yet. All right. I'm just. Okay, I'm okay. just saying. He, just this yeah. fall from grace is something that we've never seen before. Someone being regarded as Steven Spielberg is now someone making a movie like Old. It just doesn't make sense. Yeah. Um. I think the only guy I really have a great comparison uh, with M Night Shyamalan for is Charlie Kaufman. He starts out 3-0 just like Shyamalan does. He starts with writing, um, being John Malkovich, Adaptation, which is one of my favorite comedies of all time, and Eternal Sunshine, which, I mean, come on. 
he starts with three of arguably the most influential movies of the that era and i think that part of the reason we're not recognizing that is because it, it was a little bit before our time but after that he finally gets in the director's seat and directs synecdoche new york he's given a 20 million dollar budget he makes back like four and a half uh which is just a tremendous failure and then none of the studios want to work with him again so he kind of goes down this m night path of making stuff that he wants to make um, the, the difference for me is Kaufman made good stuff and Shyamalan did not, but I, I feel like that's the two type of ways, uh, that directors can go when they get full creative control, which seem to have happened with Charlie Kaufman and M. Night Shyamalan. So, um, again, I think that's an awesome take and Eternal Sunshine has seen its time in the sun as of late, which is awesome, but yeah, as like a... I would argue again that you are way more in tune with movies than I am, but aside from Eternal Sunshine and only because you told me he wrote it, I, I don't ever hear about Kaufman. Um, Shyamalan, he's still kind of a household name for at least some of us. And I think that's, that's, that's the only difference. I, I think that's about as close as it gets, except for one director that's on his way there. And we'll talk about that. But how do you think, why do you think this happened to M. Night? in particular i think it starts with the sixth sense i think that um by being kind of like thrust into that blockbuster scene with the sixth sense actually hurts his career in the long run because going to an m night movie now you're needing a twist because when you went to the sixth sense you had your mind blown that was the greatest twist of all time for a lot of people and i've think he needed to break away from that really early in his career um but unbreakable like you said has a twist i mean he follows that up with signs again twist and it goes on and on and on and i feel like he's kind of trapped in that loop so much so that the twists are becoming expected now like you go in knowing oh there's going to be a twist it's probably this so that's absolutely it it's it's become his value prop and like you said, fans yeah. are expecting it. He knows that. So instead, maybe, maybe instead of crafting just a good story, he's more focused on crafting a story that has a good twist. And I think that's kind of the trap he's falling in. And I mentioned this earlier, but I think there's another director going down this path where it's becoming his value prop. And that director happens to be Jordan Peele. He has made... Yeah a great movie in Get Out with a twist, with a, you know, a twist on the horror genre that he makes us and does right. something very similar with a big twist at the end. Nope has a big, you know, twist on the whole monster slash alien trope. He's always trying to do something creative and unique and he might fall into this path of, oh, this is, this is my value prop. This is what a Jordan Peele movie is. This is what fans are going to expect. And I yeah. fear for him that he may fall down the same path that M. Night has gone down. It's it's a scarily accurate comp, but I have faith. I don't know. Seeing how Jordan Peele has been able to kind of adapt throughout his career, I'd like to have faith that he'll be able to break away from that. I mean, if you saw a substitute teacher and ever thought, oh, yeah, the guy who wrote that, get out in like 15 years. Like, no way. Right. <laughs> 
So I, I think that he has a way of being able to rebrand himself, and I hope he might be able to do something unexpected again. Um, I, I have faith in Peel to kind of go right in the places Shyamalan went wrong. At least I want to. Yeah, I want to believe that as well. And I think he also has the benefit of hindsight in the sense that we've already seen what happened to M. Night. And I think these directors understand what went wrong the same way that we do. And he may have a chance to avoid that. Uh, like you said, he's had to pivot multiple times in his career, and maybe he pivots here again and stays away from being the twist guy, similar to M. Night. Absolutely. And I don't know. I'll, only time will tell, right? I mean, a lot of people have Nope as their favorite Jordan Peele movie. Personally, my favorite is Us, which I know you disagree You're kidding, with. right? No. Dude, I love Us. Oh, my God. All right, moving on. Um, <laughs> speaking of bad rankings, let's uh, let's go through our top five M. Night movies. Before we do that, really quick, I want to hear your least favorite M. Night. I don't want to slander him and do a full ranking of all his movies, so just give me your worst, and we'll go from there. Old. <laughs> no question in my mind, it's old. Yeah, that's a good one. I. It was, I don't know. I don't hate it but it is, it's not good. It's, I, mean, I think that that is the epitome of where Shyamalan's career has gone, and I want to talk about that a little bit more later, but holy shit, dude. Old was awful. I went and saw it alone. Only person in the theater. I still remember it. I still have the ticket. Oh, my God. I remember oh just... No, I just remember watching it and being like, so these kids are like mentally still eight or nine, but they're <laughs> doing it in the tent. Like, what is happening? <laughs> oh, Lord. Yeah, bad, bad <laughs> movie, but not nearly as bad as The Last Airbender. What a horrible adaptation. A... What a just spit in the faces of all Avatar fans. Has to be my, my least favorite of his. Yeah, that's a pretty bad adaptation. Um,. Real quick, though, before we do dive into our rankings, can we talk a little bit about Knock at the Cabin? Sure, dude. Let's do it. So, you came out of this, you gave it a, you liked it enough, right? I gave it, like it sounded, I gave it a two and a half out of five on Letterboxd. It was perfectly just fine. Like, you know, we always joke about me giving every movie a three, and, you know, it's barely even a joke. I go into every movie with, like, basically pre like i already have it like ready three out of five stars on letterboxd and then based on what happens during my experience i'll dock a point off or add a few points with this yeah. it just maybe it was a three just because it was an m night movie and then the fact that i i was so numb during this experience it, it knocked it to a two and a half there's some good cinematography here i think batista's yeah decent i honestly liked all of the performances across the board really i just they were they were pretty good also notably another great child actor yeah. which seems to be like an m night staple it it, it started that track record is pretty solid and i'm sure we'll dive into a couple of those performances but i completely agree sneaky good performance from i don't i i don't know her name but when is the character yeah uh, yeah she's great uh, i think both dads are really good and the the four oh the the four people that show up to the cabin, they're they're pretty good as well. Ron Weasley and 
WWE star Dave Bautista. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, I, I guess those were the few takeaways that were good. I just didn't think the story was enough to move the needle. It's great to have good camera work and, you know, good performances, but if there's not a good story behind all that, then, I mean, what does it matter? Yeah, no, I agree. I feel like this, on paper, should be a really great movie, and it's just not. Um, and that's, that's I think, what's really frustrating about it for me. I gave it a one out of five stars on Letterboxd. <laughs> And it actually was not because of Dave Bautista, which is unusual for me. I do not like that man. Um, but it was <laughs> it was really well shot. Uh, probably M. Night's best camera work. Do you agree with that? Oh, dude, I don't know. Sixth Sense had some pretty solid camera work. It did. I'll, I'll give you that. I, I, I think there's an argument to be made. I think it's the framing, really. He does He does a lot with his framing. It makes it feel very up close and personal to all of these characters. There's a lot of extreme close-ups, which I don't know if I could really get behind. There's some weird choices there, but... Um, I worked for me. I don't know. I, I, like you said. Really? The camera work was noticeable, so... Yeah. It was noticeable, um, and the performances were great, but ultimately it just didn't do anything for me. Um, I didn't... I, I didn't feel any tension, really, for the entire movie... Like, even when they're breaking into the cabin in the first five minutes, I felt nothing. I was like, well, they're going to get in here or else the movie doesn't happen. Like, <laughs> and I, I, I just feel like M. Night can't do trailers, but... That uh, is not his yeah. fault, though. Come on. It's, I guess it's not, but it's just... It's all on the studio trying to sell a movie that maybe wouldn't have done as well. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, that, but... that's not an M. Night problem, but... I feel like we could have a full-on discussion about trailers and how studios mismanage them a lot of the time. Yeah. But yeah, regardless, truly. the trailer disappointed or created a disappointing theater experience. I agree. I agree. Um, I also think that this movie is too long, even though it's fairly short. It's only an hour and 40 minutes uh, for its runtime, which is on the real shorter end for an M. Night movie. And it just felt like it dragged for me. I was like, holy crap. Like, this feels like it has been hours in this theater. And I don't think that there was enough plot there to really warrant a length of an hour 40. Um, so take take that as you will. Oh, and I'm um, sure you're going to bring this up because you're more of a stickler about this stuff than I am. I have a hard time catching it. But even I noticed a few points. But dialogue is lackluster. Do you have anything to say? Yes. Dude, he's up there with Lucas. <laughs> Surprise, Dave Bautista didn't come in. This is where the fun begins. <laughs> he essentially does. Like, Some of these lines are yeah. up there with that. No, I think the the one dad was had the cringiest dialogue I've seen in a movie for a while. Like, uh, oh man, when he's talking about like seeing the stuff in the mirror, I couldn't get behind it. I don't know. Again, just good performances brought down by a bad script, a, a, a yeah. mediocre story. Yeah. And speaking of that mediocre story, you brought up a great point in, in pre-production for this, that the ending <laughs> is different in the book that it this is. is inspired by. Um, do you kind of want to touch up on that? 
Yeah, sure. So, uh, the book Knock at the Cabin, um, Leonard, which is Dave Bautista's character, actually is fighting for, is it Eric or Andrew's gun? And in the struggle, um, the gun goes off and it kills Wen. And because the sacrifice wasn't voluntary, it doesn't count. And so this, their daughter is now dead and they still have to kill one of each other to keep going. And it actually ends with, um, them just leaving the, the cabin and kind of going out to face this end of the world together. And I think that's a way better movie. I think it's insane for Shyamalan to change that. It's really disappointing. That's so bizarre to me. And I, when I read that in the notes that you just mentioned that the ending was changed, I went on Google, I searched up ending to the cabin at the end of the world, which is what this movie's inspired by. And I noticed that right. it wasn't one of the dads that got killed. It was when the, the little girl in the movie. And I can't even imagine how much better that theater experience would be. I read that little snippet, my like eyes popped and I went and watched like yeah. an ending explained video of the book. What a, what a way better yeah. movie if they stick to that. That's his twist. Like that is his twist. And I can't believe, <laughs> I just can't believe he didn't go with it. I think it's a much more powerful message for the movie as well. Is it a, do you think that's a studio call or that's an M night call? Dude, I, I'm not sure. And I don't know if anybody ever will be, but <laughs> I feel like it has to do with M Knight's strong connection to his faith in his movies. Signs. Um, yeah, signs. I mean, Sixth Sense has some pretty religious stuff in that as well. I just, I, I have a feeling it was M Knight, and it's a real shame if it was. Um, and it's not even one of those where it would be like, a crazy groundbreaking story if we found out it was M. Night. With his track record yeah. and some of the poor decisions he's made, it's not impossible. And it's not. It, you, you bring up his faith, and I don't think that's a ridiculous angle to take this. This is someone that clearly has a good relationship with his faith and showcases right. that in his movies with a lot of these beautiful themes, and one of them being signs. And mm -hmm. I could see him trying to pivot away from a darker ending with religious tones in it and not our cabin at the end of the world making this instead the only the only thing where i would argue that it might have been a studio call m knight didn't write this on his own this was a a, a co-written script so that's interesting yeah, maybe it wasn't an m knight call or maybe it was like a collective call to switch the ending and and steer the audience in a different direction but it just did not work for me in comparison to the the book's ending. Yeah, I'm I'm also gonna throw out there. I watched a really really interesting video essay by Filmspeak, one of my favorite uh, YouTubers, and he talks about something that he said was very obvious that I actually didn't catch on to, which is that um, apparently uh andrew and eric the two dads uh their initials a and e are supposed to mm. be allusions to adam and eve yep. um which i thought was really interesting and 
I don't know. I don't necessarily want to get into all of the politics uh, surrounding this gay romance with an adopted daughter, but I feel like M. Night actually doesn't do a great job kind of addressing that. He pretty much just goes like, oh, we're not here to, like, kill you because you're gay, and then, like, moves on and never really touches on it again. I think there's a lot more there than just... I think it's Andrew is the dad who was attacked in yes. the bar um, than just having him, like, remember being kind of attacked for being gay. I I agree, and I'm curious to see where you're going with this. I They almost played it off as, you know, the you know comedic relief at, at the start in terms of, oh, we're not doing yeah. this because you're gay. Um, and I... I feel like they should have taken that angle a little bit more seriously. Some of my favorite scenes in this movie were the flashbacks showing the trauma that this couple has gone through um, as a couple and the bullshit they've had to deal with. I feel like they should have leaned more heavily on that. It was kind of like in Split where all those flashbacks meant something. I wish that they had, you know, I guess gone that route if you're going to change the ending anyways. uh, Maybe go for something a little more profound and in touch with their past, their past trauma. Yeah, I agree. And um, that's not to mention, too, I, I think the decision of whether or not to save the world gets a lot more interesting if they play more into that as well, because these are two people who are facing prejudice pretty much every day of their lives and really like seeing the worst of people a lot of the time. And I think that it's a great if point. they lean more into that, if they lean more into that, that's such an interesting movie. And I think that it's a lot more topical, it's a lot more relevant, and I would have been fully invested and interested in what it had to say about the world surrounding us. Gosh, I mean, the more you talk about it, it's almost as if, and I love M. Night, but if this movie is given to a different director and they, they honored the source material a little bit better and, you know, take up some of those darker tones, it's, what could this movie have become? It was an interesting premise. I mean, the, tra- the first trailer had me hooked. You know, yeah. if they stick the landing, you know, and maybe it's one of the best movies of the year. Hey. It could have been. It could have been. Oh, that's such a shame. M. Night, you're killing me, man. He's just really disappointing, isn't he? Like we said, it's the most bizarre fall from grace I've ever seen. Yeah. But those are pretty much all my thoughts on the movie. Do you have any more to add about Knock at the Cabin? No, you dove into everything I wanted to say. Like I, like I said before, it was a perfectly just okay experience. Nothing that really moved the needle. We highlighted all of my issues, you know, my what could have been's. I don't really have much more to say. It was, you know, two and a half out of five. You know, one of those, you know, yeah. right down the middle, did its job, but an M. Night movie shouldn't just do a job. That was my issue. Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. So, all right. Sorry for the long (laughs) um, aside, I guess. But now we can hop into what you were talking about before, which is our top five M. Night movies um, and kind of looking over his career as a whole. So if you want to kick it off, we have the same number one. Yeah. um, Let's let's dive right in. Let's do one first, because I think our, you know, three for three through fives are going to be a little more interesting than our number ones. It seems to be the chalk pick <laughs> as of late. I don't think this is always, you know, regarded as M. Night's best, but I believe that science is kind of taking the, taking up the, the leaderboard as of late. I think you would agree. 
think this is yeah if not it's a very close to perfect movie oh i i agree i think it's i think it's really great i think joaquin phoenix gives maybe my favorite performance from him it's probably either this or her <laughs> um great child I just, acting. oh man yeah great child acting i just love everything about this movie it's so awesome it's airtight this is one of i this is one of my favorite scripts one of like the best executed stories in terms of how it unravels its themes and twists yeah. and messages just perfectly executed movie i think it's one of my favorite science fiction movies ever if you want to call it horror yeah. i guess you can call it that but there's just so many notable scenes and not just in the science fiction aspect of it i'm talking the family dynamic the, the more emotional you know heartwarming or heartbreaking scenes though those are yeah. what i keep coming back to and why it will always be my favorite Shyamalan movie yeah no i agree i the scene that sticks out to me the most when i rewatched this movie not long ago is um where mel gibson is at the dinner oh, table yeah. and he's uh telling everybody to eat and then he's yelling and yelling and everybody starts crying and then he's just sobbing because he knows there's nothing he can do to save his family and that's all he wants and oh man that scene just hits like a sack of bricks for there's me. also just so many little moments where again Shyamalan showed his his craft there's a, a great mm -hmm. scene where they're they're going to get pizza the family's all together they're sitting at yeah. this diner everyone's eating all of a sudden M. Night Shyamalan's character who is later revealed to be the one that kills Mel Gibson's wife in the movie shows up to this yeah near parks in that strip mall and everyone looks up and is talking about um m knight's character Mel gibson doesn't say anything just goes puts his head down starts eating just little nods to that you know there's a scene early in the movie where Mel gibson wakes up and there's a stain where th there's a cross missing above his bed yeah indicating that this is someone that once had faith and has lost it why does this happen? There's just little choices and little, I guess, execution details that I love about this movie. I agree. Also, probably M. Night's best cameo, right? Mm, yeah. It's either this or the cameraman in old that's <laughs> sitting at the top of the hill filming everything. For completely different <laughs> reasons. <laughs> yeah, dude, I, oh, I man. love it. I, I think I'm going that route. I think that's a good take, and he also gives a, a very good performance. Him and Mel have a, a really good scene together outside of his uh, his office. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I am surprised that I like this as much as I do with how heavily religious it is and starring Mel Gibson, um, <laughs> given his history. But, man, it I lose myself in the world of that movie and in that family. Um, I think that the dynamics, I, I think he really nails the dynamics between each and every one of those characters in this movie. Completely agree. Couldn't say enough good things about it. If you haven't seen Signs, check that one out. It's my clear number one. And then oh, yeah. I think this is a perfect time to dive into my number two. Um, one of his newer movies, that'd be Split. Now, yeah. this is all experience-based for me. 
for the like why this is number two. Sure, I think it's a, a great movie. I had a great time with it. I think it's a good, you know, horror thriller movie. Anya Taylor Joy coming out party. She's fantastic. James McAvoy, one of my favorite performances ever. But I will never forget the theater experience when it's revealed that this is secretly an unbreakable sequel. I remember yeah. like punching my friend like right next to me like dude there's literally no way and the theme music starts queuing up and that's the big Shyamalan twist oh god just perfect I think it's my favorite Shyamalan twist by the way and that's yeah, why that's... it's number two for me as a big Unbreakable fan I I have to throw this movie in my top three I think it's fantastic that's that's crazy to me I have um I will say I was not a huge fan of Split. I thought the plot was relatively dull, and I felt like it dragged a lot of the time. Um, I also didn't really like the portrayal of uh, that mental illness. But the theater experience, I went with... I was still pretty young, um, and I went with two of my friends and one of uh, their dads. And split was sold out and we were like oh shit like that sucks so much and the dad goes okay just give us four to rogue one and i was like oh let's go i'd seen rogue one like three times already that week i was like let's do it again i love this and uh then we snuck into split and we just stood and watched it um so i'll never forget that theater experience but i was not a huge fan of the movie well, again, I think part of it is just due to my love for Unbreakable, and we'll, I'm sure we'll, we'll dive into that later, but yeah. I totally get it. So let's, let's hear your number two. Can't, can't wait for whatever this is about to be. My number two is The Visit. Sounds about right. Um, also new. Sounds about right. <laughs> Dude, I can't believe that this isn't on your list because I love this movie so, so, so much. Oh, dude. This had a vice grip on every 7th grader's balls in the nation when it came out. I remember going to see it. My friend left to go to the bathroom in the middle of the movie. I thought I was going to piss my pants. I was terrified. Oh my god, dude. I love it so much. Um, there's a lot of great comedy sequences in it uh, with the <laughs> the little brother having like an aspiring rap career. I think it's hilarious. <laughs> His little like uh, end of movie <laughs> shit sure don't taste like chicken line is one of my favorite mic drops ever. Um, I thought this was awesome. I think it could have been a, a little shorter, but that's really that's really it. I I loved this movie so much way too cheesy for me and i think i just maybe i saw it at the wrong time i'm due for a revisit i only saw it once and it's because of that lousy theater experience i was expecting something different yeah. and maybe that's my fault but it could also be you are two years older than me so just so i mean this was my first ever horror movie in theaters like <laughs> yeah that I, i'm guessing that might have had an impact because you know a movie i like for literally no reason insidious 2 that was my first. Oh, that wow. was my first horror movie I ever saw in theaters, and two, it was also my first. Ooh, was it my first movie theater date? It was definitely my first movie theater date to a horror movie. So I have wow. a, a nice nostalgia of you know reaching for the hand in absolute fear, 
but so I, I was it. ready to guess that you were going to start talking about the faculty and there's so much to love about that movie i was going to be a little upset no 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 that will be another another time <laughs> all right uh you want to take your third sure so i talked about it before this i watched it for the first time this week and that'd be the sixth sense i mentioned before i i had already known the twist so i went in watching this movie expecting not to like it because i already knew it was going to happen could not have been more wrong a really well executed unraveling of that twist my only complaint really is that m night doesn't trust his audience at the end when the twist is revealed there is this huge flashback montage to all the little moments that you, you could you could have caught that he was dead the whole time you know she picks yeah. up the check or the the mom's not talking to him when they're waiting um, for Haley Joel Osment's character at the house there, there's yeah. a lot of these little moments that I wish he would have just trusted the audience with all that aside there was a fantastic Bruce Willis performance here gosh I miss him you know my heart breaks yeah. that he can't he can't do it anymore. Yeah. Great child performance. Haley Joel Osment is <laughs> fantastic. I think we were talking before this pod that maybe it's the best child performance ever. I think it's up there. I think it is, yeah. I think it's either this or one of the kids from Stranger Things. That's a good take, too. Oh, God, man. I know, I know Stranger Things isn't a movie, but that, that's one on the docket for sure. Just a special yeah. TV experience. Well, all that aside, had a great, great experience despite knowing the twist, and that being M. Night's value prop, pretty impressive that I liked it that much. Yeah. Um, I'm just going to say, first off, you did forget uh, one amazing performance in this movie. Tony Collette. From, yes. Dude, don't, don't get it twisted. I Her first scene. The goat. I, I gave like a double take. Like, no way, right? There's no way it's her. <laughs> Fact checked it on Google. Made me so happy. Again. Like you said, she killed it. There's a great scene where she's talking with her son in the car, and he mm-hmm. proves that he can see dead people when they talk to him because he reveals that yeah. his grandmother has talked about her and said that she wants to tell her daughter that she's proud of her, and she breaks Dude. down in the car. Just great scene that had me choking up. Thank you for reminding yeah, my me. My heart melted. My heart melted at that scene. Um, and this is also my number four movie, just to jump ahead a little bit. Um, but I did want to touch on one thing. You talked a little bit about not wanting to flash back and kind of spell out uh, all those little things you missed that could have given away the twist. Maybe save that for a rewatch or something. Do you think that this is better if it has an ambiguous ending of not knowing if Bruce Willis is dead or not? A thousand percent. And obviously, I think it's... I think it's pretty clear from the get-go, again, I knew the twist going in, that he is dead, but I think that that's almost like a a Blade Runner thing, where those two movies did a great job of never actually saying if Deckard was a replicant. There are a bunch of hints towards it, but they never flat out say it, and they leave it to the audience to debate it forever. How awesome would that have been if there's an M. Night fan base um, arguing about the sixth sense for the next 30 years about whether or not he's dead no it'd be it'd be crazy and initially when i wrote this up i was envisioning like oh if it's made today like then probably yes like everybody flocks to reddit and 
Quora or wherever you talk about this stuff and says like, oh, like Bruce Willis is totally dead and here's why. His wife picked up the check, blah, 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 blah. But bringing up Blade Runner, I think this really works anytime. I, it would have been interesting to see if this movie is received any differently. I can envision it now. Again, like you said, if it's made today, you know, maybe not even made by M. Night. I can picture it having like a Chris Nolan Inception ending where the his ring rolls underneath the the chair that his wife's sitting in and he yeah. doesn't have it on for some reason and it cuts to black. Like very similar yeah. where it's like, oh shit, now we have to think about this. And I mentioned this on purpose that maybe this isn't directed by M. Night. Is that like, I think that there's this flashback, you know, revealing the twist and breaking down all the great moments in it because he doesn't trust his audience and normally I, never I would normally you know fault the studio for that but it really is an M. Night problem he has very it is. simple you know childlike dialogue a lot and I think that's for the same reason he never trusts his audience it's it's unbearable sometimes with in coming back to knock at the cabin I mean with him spelling out Oh my God! They're the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Oh, I like, know. Every small detail is just blah 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 blah, and the oh God, the exposition dialogue is awful at the end. It's just, dude, like have a little faith that the people going to see your movie are in total meatballs. For as good as the Sixth Sense is, it's kind of sad to look back and say maybe if this is helmed by a different director, it's somehow better. A little crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Your number to three. my number three now. Yeah, is uh, Glass, which wow. is so incredibly overhated. Oh my god! I totally agree. I totally agree. I felt when I walked into this theater, I was excited, and when I walked out, I felt like I had just seen M Night at the top of his game. Like, legitimately, I, everything in this movie worked for me. Um, I, I can understand why it didn't for some people. I think he took a lot of risks in this one, uh, specifically. But they all panned out for me. I think it really fired on all cylinders, and I don't know. Yeah, well, I think a lot of the... And again, this is so validating as an Unbreakable fan that there's that I'm not alone in the fact that I like Glass and how they handled the characters. You know, yeah. as a David Dunn fan... I don't mind the way his character and all of these characters go out and how he wraps up the story. Like you said, he takes risks in a way that we hadn't seen since, I mean, shit, the, the village. I, yeah. I, for me, I saw Split and they revealed that this is a unbreakable sequel. David Dunn is coming back and he's going to face off against Sam Jackson's uh, Mr. Glass character. You know, mm-hmm. I couldn't have been more excited for M. Night to wrap up his, you know, pseudo-superhero trilogy. And I felt he stuck yeah. the landing in a way that was different. Like, what made Unbreakable and Split special was that they weren't really superhero movies. It was just, Agreed. you know, kind of a superhero subgenre. And he wrapped yeah. it up in a way that it would make sense in that world. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I also... I really liked uh, the ending of this, um, which a lot of people didn't. Um, that's why, that's I know why people the, hate it. Yeah, the two the two people that I saw this with were like, oh, that's the worst ending of all time. I was like, I thought it was 
pretty good. <laughs> yeah, dude, I love seeing that in your top three. It's not in mine, but um, I, I have a sweet spot for Glass. I think he stuck the landing. Yeah. All right, uh, so my number four is, as I said before, the Sixth Sense. Ty, if you want to take yours. Thank you, sir. Um, sticking to the Unbreakable trilogy, I'm going with the OG at my four spot is Unbreakable. It's not nearly as good as you know his first three in Signs or the Sixth Sense, but I still love it. I, I think that they did a really good job of crafting a superman origin story if he didn't know he was superman and that was executed i think with such a a nuance Uh, bruce willis again gosh i I miss bruce willis but great performance i think this is my favorite willis performance Uh, wow yeah another really good child performance his dynamic with his son yeah I, i keep going back to those scenes the weightlifting scene you know the weightlifting scene is what lost really in this movie actually uh, yeah that's when i was like oh, i'm out no Shut I, up. Have a, I have a sweet spot for that one i remember vividly seeing this movie with my dad he he's kind of the reason i got into movies we would go to the library like once a week and rent three or four movies and watch them that's awesome yeah. that's and awesome unbreakable was one of those movies and you know anytime there's a father-son scene in a movie i i i get a little emotional or you know feel good Hmm. that's one of them yeah and you know before we move on from unbreakable i want to talk about sam jackson's character as mr glass i i know most people wouldn't consider him for one of the best villains of all time i think he's in my top three i wow that is blasphemous to me actually i i dude you have to be forgetting about some villains probably but i really (laughs) like this story I like the the trope or the the pseudo super hero aesthetic of it and I'm putting it at my four spot. Don't slander Mr. Glass like that, especially in the in the first unbreakable movie. Dude, okay. Real quick, let me just five seconds. Number one, Darth Vader, number two, Anton Shiger, number three, General Zod. I can well, I go on and Zod on and on. Three. Zod at three for Man That's of Steel. Awesome. I completely disagree, but maybe, okay. maybe I blew Mr. Glass out of proportion, but I really like him as a villain. I don't know. Yeah, and then if you want to just say your five, I've got something special cooked up for... Yeah, I'm looking at that now. I'm going to be sick. At my five spot, you've already mentioned it. I don't have much more to say, but Glass, again, I, I love this trilogy. I think he stuck the landing. Yeah. I've said everything I need to say about it. If, you know, you didn't like the ending, I get it, but it works for me. The whole trilogy made it into your uh, top five? That's crazy. I think partially due to the fact that I don't like a lot of M. Night's movies anymore. So (laughs) he kind of got, the glass got lucky. It was like winner by default. Yeah, I I suppose, but. So, you know, I feel I've hinted towards or referenced the five of his best movies you could argue the visit should be in my five but it wasn't for me yeah i am genuinely curious to see what you're gonna put at five my number five is probably everybody's favorite m night Shyamalan movie the happening (laughs) um i think that it is hard to make a movie this bad and when I'm looking back, I enjoy watching this more than Unbreakable or Split because every single time that I watch Mark Wahlberg 
tell a plant that he's not threatening it and then realize that it's fake, I die laughing. (laughs) I think that that is comedic genius. And the whole thing, there's the weird hot dog man, there's so much weird shit going on in this movie that makes absolutely no sense that I can just watch it over and over and just laugh every time at how this came to be. Yeah, I think you just you just mentioned it, I said it beautifully. It's not even just the fact that you can look at it and, and laugh because it's so bad. You can sit back and wonder the whole time, like, who greenlit this? I mean, almost every scene, it's, what is going on here? Was it self-funded? Was this the era, like, the start of the era? For anyone that doesn't know, M. Night became such a dumpster fire that studios stopped greenlighting his projects, so he would have to fund them himself, starting with Split and then Glass. I don't know if the happening falls under this, but good lord, like, who gave him money for this and let him just run free? Dude, I remember I saw a video of um, Mark Wahlberg, like, bringing something up to uh, M. Night. He was saying, like, pointing out some, like, huge flaw in the entire movie. And he was like, so, like, why is this happening? And then M. Night just, like, laughed at him and told him to go back to (laughs) acting. I was like, Jesus. Oh, my God. I love it so much, dude. Yeah, I mean... That's a, that's honestly just an awful take for top five, but I like your analysis of it, and I understand. You know, it's hard to make a top five list for M. Night, so having a little fun yeah. with it, I can't knock you. Yeah. All right. Uh, so I think the last real thing that we want to touch on here is what is next for M. Night Shyamalan? Yeah, let me dive into this one first. I think, again, at his peak, He was closing in on Spielberg, which I know sounds bizarre in 2023, but early 2000s, people know exactly what I'm talking about. Closing in on becoming a washed, old filmmaker? Yep, but still has so many classics, and I think that's what M. Night can do here. I think he just needs to be very, very patient. No need to pivot, no need to do anything yet, just wait for either the right script or keep writing away until you find your golden goose. And then he just goes off makes just one more just M. Night classic and rides off into the sunset. He goes out on a high note. People remember him for his comeback, not all of his downfalls. And then after that, if he wants to be involved, stick to writing. You know, I think he's he's written a couple very good projects that I happen to like. One of them being Devil, a very smart, contained story. And then he wrote an Apple TV series called Servant that I think is awesome. So yeah, I never caught that, actually. I think it's very good. And yeah, I haven't seen the new season, so it probably fell off the rails. But I think the guy can write. And I think yeah. maybe just sticking to that and waiting for the perfect movie for him to direct, I think, is the right play. Honestly, if, if Devil's Made by M. Night, I think it bumps six cents out of my top five. I, it, would be at my, it would probably be at my five over glass I can't replace happening um (laughs) yeah uh I kind of disagree with that um I understand what you're saying I think that that's a fine way for him to go and it would be a pretty fitting end for his career um for his like just 
I don't know, heartbeat monitor, monitor kind of graph of his heat in Hollywood. Um, but I think he needs the Robert Pattinson treatment of just kind of stepping back, doing some small indie stuff, directing a couple of really just, I don't know, uh, small family type of movies and take a few years, lay low and, um, wait for a really good idea to come around, wait for that second sixth sense, second signs. And, um, in the meantime, if he has these little sparks like he had for old or after earth or avatar, the last airbender that actually doesn't fall in this. Uh, <laughs> but I, I think that he needs to make some short films. I think that a lot of his filmography gets a lot better if, um, they're short films. If, um, like, if old is 30 minutes long, it's a perfect movie. That's a true take, and it is, is maybe the worst movie I've ever seen. I think if, <laughs> if he condenses it to 30 minutes, I think it's great. Um, and I think the same can be said about The Visit. Um, and honestly, I think The Sixth Sense gets better if it's a short film as well. Um, it's not a crazy take. I think he does... Yeah, I think he does... He has a lot of great ideas, but it's either they're not deep enough or he isn't in a position to dive deep enough into them to make them into feature length films. Yeah, I don't think that's a bad take. And, you know, either way, whatever he decides to do, I'm always rooting for him. Even though he's become yeah. this dumpster fire, he inspired me to fall in love with movies in a way that most directors haven't. So I'll always be in his corner, you know. So, you know, fingers crossed for him. I hope he, I hope he gets one more banger, starts dialing on short films. But either way, what's gonna happen when you see coming in twenty twenty four? The happening too. <laughs> no, dude, he's gonna direct the Batman movie with Pattinson in it. That'd be crazy. I, what does no. that movie look like? The plot twist is that, like, Batman becomes the Joker or something. <laughs> No, the plot twist is that Batman was dead all along. <laughs> Even better. It's all a dream. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, dude, I think... Uh, I don't know if you know this or how recently you watched The Happening. It actually does kind of set up for a sequel. I would not be surprised if he makes that movie. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, uh, that's really all I wanted to talk about with M. Night, um, owner of the probably the greatest stage name of all time, M. Night Shyamalan, um, and the person who is really hit or miss with pretty much every single one of his movies. They either are amazing or they suck. <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, the, mo the most beautiful fall from grace. Yeah, truly. So, uh, yeah, thank you all for listening. Uh, we're gonna wrap it up here, and, um, yeah, we're gonna try and keep pumping out podcasts a little more consistently now we've got a uh, schedule going so yeah stay tuned we'll see you guys around